uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. This is Squirrel Chatter for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. And this is a podcast that is dedicated to scripture, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then you can download the audio podcast just about wherever you can find podcasts. And we are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. I encourage you to head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. Got a good show today. Uh, We got prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We've got a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Theology Thursday, so we're going to be looking at paragraphs 1 and 2 of chapter 9 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Chapter 9 is of free will. And so we'll be looking at that. I want to start off by apologizing about yesterday. I just did not sleep well on... uh, on Tuesday, um, didn't sleep well, and and uh, and I woke up yesterday, and I was just not in any condition to uh, woke up. I didn't wake. I got up. I had been awake for a long time, and I just was not in any condition to do a live webcast. So that was why there was no squirrel chatter yesterday, and I do apologize for that. But these things happen. Having a busy week, I guess. I nothing, nothing tragic or or uh, anything like that going on um, in my life. I, I do have a dear friend who just lost his father, and that's uh, that's a hard time. I uh, I still remember that ache from my own dad's passing. But uh, in our in. Here in Squirrel Manor, things have been going well, other than, you know, winter and definitely getting into the winter doldrums. But this is a busy week. I've had a lot on my mind. I've got a bus trip today, and then tomorrow um, I'll be leaving for three days for the youth retreat up at Camp Utmost, a junior high and high school retreat. And so that will be a good time. I'm looking forward to that. I have no idea. They've, they've got the, the cabins divided up by age. So there's younger boy cabins, middle, middle-aged boy cabins, and older boy cabins. And I don't know which cabin they're sticking me in. So I'll find out when I get up there. Am I going to have high school kids or junior high kids or what? I don't know. But that's going to be, that starts tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, today's Thursday. So that starts tomorrow afternoon. And runs through lunch on Sunday, so um, I got a busy weekend ahead. So I've got a, a lot of things that have been going through my mind and uh, and and stuff. And I just did not sleep well Tuesday night. Um, 
I went to bed early. I was really tired. Sometimes when you're really tired are the nights you don't sleep well. And I think I've mentioned it before, but one of the things that I really miss about youth is that ability to just sleep. I, I used to be able to, if I didn't set an alarm and nobody woke me up, I could sleep till noon every day. Um, those days are long past, <laughs> very long past. It's been a long time since I've been able to, uh, to sleep like that. And I miss that. I think on a, on a day when, when I don't have anything to do and I go to bed and I don't have an alarm clock set, I want to sleep late and I can't, I'll be, I'll be awake and I'll get up pretty much at the normal time with or without an alarm. So that is just life and aging. And I, I, I'm, I'm, that's something I'm looking forward to in eternity. I don't know if we'll be sleeping. I don't know if glorified bodies need sleep, but, uh, we certainly won't be tired. We won't be achy. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, there's a lot we're not told about eternity. Um, and that's something to, to think about. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to, to live, you know, in eternity? And uh, there's a lot of speculation. There are hints, but, but the, the scriptures don't lay it out in detail. And I think one of the reasons they don't lay it out in detail is we couldn't comprehend it. And, and one of the reasons we could not comprehend it is something I mentioned here recently is the fact that we would have, none of us can conceive of an existence without the presence of sin. And so trying to imagine eternity without the presence of sin, without conflict, without misunderstandings, without all of the things that sin has caused, you know, not, not, not just the major things, not just the, the murders and the, the atrocities and wars and stuff like that, but the minor things, you know, minor in the sense that, you know, everyday, little bitty everyday things that we won't have to contend with because that will be, you know, because those are things that are caused by sin. So I think a lot of, a lot of eternity was left as a mystery because there's no way we can understand it. Um, I heard a preacher one time compare it to trying to describe a honeymoon to a four or five year old girl married couple goes off on their honeymoon and you know, a four or five year old girl is like, well, you know, can my best friend come? Can I take my stuffed animals? You know, there's, there's all the things that, that you think about going on a trip when you're four or five years old that are not anywhere close to your mind when you're a young adult leaving on a honeymoon. 
And so, because, you know, a four or five-year-old can't comprehend it. The, 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 you know, so that's a lot of our, our looking at eternity. There, there are things that we just can't comprehend. And because we can't comprehend them, we're not told. So that's neither here nor there. That was bonus material, not on the notes. So that, that's no extra charge for that. All right. Well, let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. After a sip of this lovely Montana Coffee Traders Trailblazer Blend Coffee, which is what I am still drinking this week. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now I want to read from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Um, I have gotten many requests to to add this to the daily lineup, and uh, so I will I will start doing that. Um, so we're going to to do five readings a week instead of two from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. We are in Volume One, and our reading for today is "Beloved Jesus, Superior to All Sacrifices." The verse that we are looking at is, A voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 Dr. MacArthur writes, No Old Testament sacrifice, no matter how carefully selected, was genuinely and completely pleasing to God. The people could not find an animal without some imperfection. Furthermore, the blood of the sacrificial animals was at best only symbolic. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's Hebrews 10.4, the cross-reference to Hebrews 9.12. But the cross would affect a sacrifice, the, the cross would affect a sacrifice that would be without, with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1.19. It was this reality that rang out, in the Father's declaration of blessing at the Jordan that day, the day of Jesus' baptism. His use of the word beloved connotes a rich, profound, ultimately satisfying relationship between the Father and the Son. Forms of this word occur elsewhere in the New Testament to denote God's love for believers and to describe the ideal love they should have for one another. But in God's eyes, the Lord Jesus ever remains the most beloved among any living being past, present, or future. This means that Christians too are a delight to their Heavenly Father because they are now in Christ and adopted into God's eternal spiritual family. If God can find no imperfection in his Son, 
He likewise, by his grace, finds no defect in his saints. See Romans 3.26 and Ephesians 1.3-6. Ask yourself, Is the Son beloved in your eyes as well? How does your love for him express itself in your conversation, your interactions, your behavior, your worship? If you couldn't say that he is your first love, Revelation 2.4, ask God to help you return him to his rightful place of adoration. All right, and now we are turning to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 9 of Free Will. I got to mention, I just got two new books in the last couple of weeks on the 1689. One is a new exposition of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, edited by Rob Ventura, and this is from uh, Intor. Um, mentor, mentor. It's a, that's an M. <laughs> it's really stylized M. Um, actually, yeah, this Christian Focus Publications. Um, so I just got this one, and and it it uh, looks very good. And then uh, from Founders, I just got this one, which is the judicious and to the judicious and impartial reader. An Exposition of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. So these two volumes are joining my uh, book by uh, Sam Waldron on the 1689. Haven't had a chance to dig into either one of them. I've got a lot of reading to do right now. And so some of these books are uh, being put off. But uh, yeah, I've got more information, which I probably <laughs> will be done with this study before I, I get around to reading them, I'm sure. But uh, they have been added to my library. I'm looking forward to, to getting into them at some point. And as always, I still got to read Joel Beakey's Systematic. I've got three volumes of a systematic theology over there that I've barely cracked. So many books, so little time. And, and just for clarification, never tell a book lover that he has too many books. Because the truth is, he does not have too many books. He simply does not have enough shelf space. All right, well, we are in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 9. Now, the paragraphs of this chapter are fairly small, as we looked at last week when we read through the whole chapter. So this morning, I want to look at two chapters, two, two chapters, two paragraphs. Paragraph 1 and paragraph 2. So let's begin with paragraph 1. The 1689 reads, God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So this is talking about man as created. Man as originally created by God was given the power of choice given natural liberty and the power of acting upon choice. Now, we need to understand here, there is a huge difference between the concepts of libertarian free will that are pushed about these days, where you can decide to do whatever you want, and the power of choice. 
because so much of our lives are beyond our choice. And we don't often think of that because we think that we have the power to choose things. Well, we do have the power to choose, but we only have the power to choose between the limited options that are placed in front of us. I did not choose the weather today. Now, I could choose to move to another part of country which has different weather, but I wouldn't choose the weather there either. I, I have no power over the weather. I did not choose my parents. I did not choose my siblings. I did not choose where and when I was born. I did not choose my eye color. I did not choose my height. And I did not and cannot choose my sex. These are things that were all decided for me by a sovereign God in his infinite wisdom for his divine purposes. It has nothing to do with my will or anything like that. But I have been given the power of choice. I can choose between options that are set in front of me. In my kitchen, just down the hall, I have coffee and tea. Most mornings, I choose to drink coffee. But I'm not limited to that choice. I can choose to drink coffee or tea or water. And I think I've got some Coke Zero in the fridge. So I could have a Coke Zero. I, I have choices of what to drink. But those choices are limited. Right now, I don't have any Fresca. So I can't have a Fresca to drink without choosing to go to the store. But you see what I'm saying? Our choices are limited. You know, and, and we understand, even Jesus said, you know, we can't choose to, you know, by an act of our will, by worrying was the, what do you, I can't add a, a second to my life. There's, there are things that are beyond my power to choose or to affect. But in the original creation, and in even now, that, that will, that power to check, to the power of choice is not forced. God does not make me choose things. And this is something that, that we really need to understand. I'm not a robot, I'm not a puppet. I, I'm not you know, at, at, the, at one and the same time, you know, we've already looked at, at, I believe it was chapter 2 on God's decrees, where it says that, you know, he has decreed everything whatsoever comes to pass. So the fact that I'm drinking coffee this morning instead of tea was decreed in eternity. But at one and the same time, I was not forced by God to choose coffee this morning. Now, he made me in such a way that I like coffee, um, and so I pick coffee, but I choose it. I like tea too, but most mornings I drink coffee and we will pause for a sip of the same, but that is not forced. I choose what I want and that includes sinful choices. I choose the sinful things I do because I want to, um, want to in my flesh, not in my redeemed spirit, but we still struggle with our flesh. 
and the flesh is still here, and the flesh still has a great deal of influence, and there are times when, under the influence of the flesh, I choose sinful actions, sinful reactions, as does every believer. Romans chapter 7, Paul did. But the will of man, especially before creation, the, the, the power of choice, the power of acting upon choice is not forced, and it is not by necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. It's neutral. You have the power to choose. And in creation, in Adam and Eve, in their, in, in their innocence, they were not, by necessity of that power, Pre, uh, pre-programmed to choose good or evil. So we have been made with, a, with the power of choice, the power to act upon choice. And that power was neutral. Um, we saw that last time when we were looking at, at, at mankind, where it said that, you know, it, they were innocent, but they were unstable because they had the, the capacity to fall. And fall they did. Um, but God created us with a power to choose. We're given three proof texts for this paragraph. Matthew 17, 12, which reads, But I say to you that Elijah already came. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So he, what he is saying here is that the, the, the fact that Herod had John the Baptist imprisoned and then executed was done because that's what Herod wanted to do. That's what, you know, he, he did it because he chose to do it. It was, it was driven by his nature and his personality, but it was not, he was not compelled, Right? And the same with with Jesus, as he suffered um, during his trials and crucifixion. That suffering was because the people who nailed him to the cross did what they wanted. They chose to do it. They were not compelled. James 1.14 This is talking about each of us as we sin. He says, each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We we often blame Satan, hard to say this, but unjustly. Because most of the time, the vast majority of time, we are not dealing with demonic temptations. The vast majority of the time, the temptations that befall man come from his own sinful heart because we do what we want to do. People choose to sin because they love their sin and that's what they want to do. And then we're given Deuteronomy 30, 19, Moses writes, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. 
So choose life in order that you may live, you and your seed. So there's a call to make a choice because we have been given a choice. And we choose what we want. So what does that mean when we choose to follow Christ? Why, you know, we're, it says that, you know, when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, it's impossible. You know, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are alienated from God. People who reject Christ do so because they choose to do so. And that was all of our situations. Why then, how do we reconcile God's election of sinners unto salvation with man's inability to choose to follow God on his own? We are not compelled to choose Christ, we who believe. But we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are made spiritually alive. And because we have been raised from death into life, now being spiritually alive, our living spirit freely chooses to follow Christ. We're not compelled. All right, paragraph two. Man, in his state of innocence, innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet was unstable so that he might fall from it. Okay, I was thinking that was the last section, but that's actually this section, this paragraph. I knew I'd come across that phrase. <laughs> um, so this is talking about man in his creation, in his state of innocency. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. Had the freedom and the power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God. They could obey God. But the will of man in his innocency was unstable so that he might fall from doing that which was good and well-pleasing to God. We are given a couple of proof texts here. The first is the fact that, that we were created with the ability to do good. Ecclesiastes 7.29, we read, God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. So man was made upright, but man has fallen. And that's the, the second proof text talking about being that we were unstable and able to fall from it. And uh, we see that uh, it's uh, Genesis 3.6 where we read, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Here we're seeing the unstableness of the will of Adam and Eve in their innocency because the, while they were able to do that which was well-pleasing to God, they were also able to choose to rebel against God, which they did. This is why we talk about Adam and Eve being not being perfect, not being perfectly morally upright. They were innocent, meaning they were not perfected. They were physically perfect, certainly. Um, 
and, and they were good because God said he created everything that was good. But they were not confirmed in their goodness morally. They were innocent. And so they had the ability to fall by their own choice, which they did. And you see that, you know, look at the, the, wor the words here. She saw that the tree was good for food. So that's, you know, the lust of the eyes. They were a delight to the eyes. Again, you know, this is her eyes drawing her in. It looks good. It was desirable to make one wise. You know, the promise of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, this was a demonic temptation because Adam and Eve, Eve especially, um, and, and really when you study this, the serpent tempted Eve, Eve tempted Adam. Now, it was Adam's fall that fell to us because he is the head of humanity. This is headship. This is a federal headship issue. He was the head of humanity, and therefore it is in him that we fell. But the serpent tempted Eve. Eve tempted Adam. And uh, so that was the... You know, and, and he was right there, folks. Look at the end of that. She gave also to her husband with her. He never stepped in and stopped the serpent and stopped Eve. And then when Eve disobeyed God, he joined her in her disobedience. He was right there. It wasn't like she had wandered off by herself. He was right there. So consider that. That's, that's why it's Adam's sin. He was the head of humanity. He could have stopped it and didn't. So we were given will, the ability to choose, and in innocency, we had the ability to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but in innocency, in the garden, that will was unstable. And because that will was unstable, the possibility of falling from that which was good and well-pleasing to God existed and indeed took place. All right, so that's paragraphs one and two of chapter nine on free will. It's chapter nine, right? Yep, chapter nine of free will. So now let us recite together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, 
but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks, you have a great Thursday. Um, if you think about it, say a prayer for me as I'm driving a couple of hours with the uh, junior high girls on these winter roads. Um, they've been kind of nasty since the weekend. So uh, hopefully the uh, roads have improved and they've gotten them cleared off. I don't think we got any new snow last night, but uh, do pray for safe travel. We got a couple of hours on windy mountain roads and, and it would be good to, uh, to, if you would remember us in your prayers. And, and if you think about it, Remember my friend David and his prayers as he has lost his father. Um, and pray for his mother as well. She was 16 when she married his father. And so that is, they had a long life together. And she is now bereft of her companion of all these years. And so... Do pray for her as well, that God would comfort her in her mourning and in her sorrow. All right, folks, have a wonderful Thursday. Remember, please, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.